set. Scene one, take ten, marker. studio of WHUP LP Hillsborough. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo and over the next hour together we'll explore where culture meets crafts. Today on Murmur, Kano Ergo Ago Ergo Sum, singer-songwriter, actor emeritus, Shaky Graves is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. There is so much to get to today. I can't even explain. I have many liquids in front of me because I just feel like this is going to be one of those cool episodes. Shaky Graves is with us. He's going to be on the line momentarily. Before we get to that, uh, we are going to be, can I say this? We're going to be on the road. We're going to be in Chicago in April and May. Uh, Cool announcements. Um, One that connects us to the Onion Film Festival. We're really excited about that. We'll be there in May. Uh, Lots of cool plans. So wherever we are, murmurradio.com, at MSF Murmur, the Twitter and social handles, Instagram, etc. And uh, email us, murmurradio at gmail.com. So today, welcome back. Welcome to Murmur. We have so much to do today, so much to get to today, and so much to attempt today uh, here on Murmur. Shaky Graves is going to be with us on the phone, and uh, we're really excited about that. That would be enough to get us excited, but we're also going to try some interactivity. We have people emailing the show. We have people calling the show. Uh, fans of, of uh, Shaky and admirers of Shaky put us on that list um, and they're going to ask some questions. It's going to be a little crazy, uh, but I'm going to try to do it. I'm only one man here. <laughs> we, we don't have an engineer or a producer. So I'm going to try to sp- spin plates and also talk to Shaky about, frankly, what I'd like to talk to him about, which is performance. I mean, I'm sure his fans are going to want to call in, and and we have already a lot of email questions we're going to toss into the mix today. But um, I think one of the interesting uh, challenges, the technical challenges will be fun, but I I think what's going to be interesting in terms of topic is talking to Shaky about performance. Now, Shaky is one of the rare hybrid multi-tool 
left fielders of uh, art and craft. He started as an actor and moved to L.A. and came back a musician. We'll talk to him about that. But it brings up brings to mind a really interesting path that he's he's creating, created, will continue to create. It also brings to mind. I love talking to singer, songwriters, performers, front men, front women of bands about acting. Uh, it's rare and it's cool to have a guest who has that precise DNA with us and that's shaky. But frankly, there's a there's a there's a gray zone, a gray area about w- w- revolving around acting and performance. And I, when we have musicians on the show, I like to ask them, is what you do acting uh, and vice versa. But, you know, shaky, we're going to kind of drill down a little bit in, in that, in that way topically. When I was, um, when 2005, I was in Italy teaching filmmaking and teaching acting. And while I was there I was in Florence and Marlon Brando died. It was interesting uh, going back, reading obits on Brando and, and doing some of my own research at the time. And one thing I thought he, w- he said that was in- interesting on a level of what we're talking about today, the, amb- the wonderful ambiguities and ubiquities of performance and acting and what these words mean. He said something that was really interesting. And I remember reading him saying that acting was the easiest job he'll ever do. He said, all of us act every day. And he distilled acting down into decisions. And acting is, you know, what color socks am I going to wear? Because an actor creates a series of decisions based on intentions or motivations that lead to action. And, and you know, that's a, the essential premise of acting philosophy. But Brando rooted it in everyday behavior, or at least felt it's what he does every day. Uh, as a human being, and and it's true. I mean, the the word to act, to move, to make, to be. The, there's there's such a thin spectrum. So I think when we look at someone who's professionally an actor, and per, a performer, when behind a microphone, with a guitar strapped on their back, and, and you know they're playing their guitar. What what do they go through? I've interviewed musicians, and I think right now it's running about fifty fifty. Half of the half of the musicians I've interviewed or discussed this topic with would say what they are doing is acting. Half don't think it is. Now I'm going to leave the word performance out of it. I'm going to I'm going to save that word for shaky because that's an even trickier place to be, to live in. Um, but I think acting, performing, singing, you know, there was a time when actors were expected to sing and dance and I think Brando in, in uh, Guys and Dolls and, you know, Guys and Dolls, Frank Sinatra. I mean, there was, there was a time, <laughs> there was a time, uh, that should have been the name of the show today. Uh, so I found it really interesting when I started looking at Shakey's background and journey, you know, he was living in New York, living in L.A. I mean, he really went through the car wash, uh, a ferocious, the ferocious car wash of performance and ended up with a guitar. Now, and that's changing, you know, from his solo performance w- w- to duetism, to maybe bandism, sharing the stage with other people. So I, I do think there's a lot of reciprocity, and I, but I want to know the mindset. I want to know, you know, 
what the mental fabric is. And someone like Shaky, who comes from the theater, his mom uh, was a drama teacher and a playwright, I believe. And he cut his chops really early as a as an actor in high school. And he also comes out, out of a really eclectic tradition like Austin, which is is arguably the most eclectic cross-section South by Southwestism of acting, of music and performance. And there's some really cool film cats who live in Austin, Rick, Richard Linklater, Robert Rodriguez, and Mike Judge is from that part of the, uh, the country as well. So I do think if I had to pin the tail on the map and say, where is this, where, where is this Frankenstein monster going to come from? Austin would probably be a part, uh, an area that I would locate. But again, this is, this is something that is undulating performance. What does the performer go through? Is it close to acting? Is acting false? Is acting true? You know, we talk a lot about filmmaking being all true and all false. And, and I don't think acting is any different in, in, on that level. So I, I, I think or know to have Shaky with us today is, is a great gift because he sees behind those eyes in a way. I, I just want to throw something into the physical stool, stew, stew here. Um, we, uh, we have emails coming in. Uh, we ha- having some phone calls coming in. I am, I am flesh and blood. I am one person. We have <laughs> limited time with shaky. So I want to try to maximize the ideas and integrate some fan questions and try to get to some questions that are close to the topic. Probably not possible, but we're just going to have a good time with shaky. I mean, shaky seems like a really good dude. I've not met him yet, but I've enjoyed what I know about him so far. Uh, so I, I don't want to, you know, hurt anyone's feelings, but you know, we're going to have to run and gun a little bit through this, um, which, Hey, that's why we get up in the morning. If it was the same way every week, we wouldn't do it. I promise you, I wouldn't do it. So we're going to hear from shaky graves, uh, coming up soon. Uh, first this Warner brothers presents performance with Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger, James Fox, and James Fox. This is a film about madness. No soap on the gentleman's collar. And sanity. A film about fantasy. How much did you give him? Two-thirds of the big one. That's insane. The old man was called in the language of Persia. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm normal. <laughs> Would you call that equitable? I see you down in San Antonio on a hot and dusty night. You're a baggy little leather boy with a smaller piece of stick. You're a lashing, smashing hunk of man. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Calm down, gentlemen, you're and reality and sensuality a film about death and life this is a film about vice and versa performance
Your eyes seek conclusion in all this confusion of mine. Though you and I both know it's only the warm glow of wine. It's got you to feeling this way. But I don't care, I want you to stay. And hold me and tell me you'll be here to love me today. The children are dancing, the gamblers are chancing, they're all. The windows accusing the door of abusing the wall. But who cares what the night watchmen say? The stage has been set for the play. So just hold me and tell me you'll be here to love me today. Stars hang on to the sky Well the wind's running free Though it ain't up to me To ask why But the poets are demanding their pay And they've left me with nothing to say Except hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today Just hold me and tell me You'll be here to love me today had this theory that uh, stand-up comics make really great actors and one of the reasons why I think you know that idea of performance in front of a really tough crowd it sharpens your knives your acting knives your performance knives I uh, had a talk with Patton Oswalt once and I presented that philosophy to him he said you, you kind of got it wrong man it's country western singers that know how to perform 
an act because that DNA is really close. So I take the challenge and we welcome in um, a man who can kind of settle this argument. He's a bit of a slacker, though. I, I will tell you, he started acting at the age of five. I don't know what he was doing those first five years, but man, it's it's a little embarrassing. Um, he also had an agent by the age of 11, and most actors, man, they've retired by that age, so he's a bit of a slacker. Uh, he did do some theater. He was part of the Red Dragon Players Company. You all know those guys. Um, he was also, I loved that show, Endurance, um, and he was a contestant on that. I don't remember that that uh, episode. I hope he won. Hey, did you... Did you win that one? Did you endure? No, I, 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 uh, I lost on the first episode of Endurance. <laughs> I was like one of the first. I was instantly. If you don't, if if you guys didn't catch Endurance on a Saturday morning, uh, like ABC Discovery Kids, right. in you know 2004, it's too bad you missed out. But it was basically Survivor for Survivor for Children. Uh, and just another wonderful chapter of uh, televised child abuse <laughs> and uh, legal yeah, le- legal child abuse. I, yes. le- yeah. Highly endorsed, expensive legal child abuse. <laughs> that was and, the one uh, I remember yeah, it being outside, right? Like you guys were outside. Is that my remembering? Or we literally? Yeah. Yeah. If you could imagine this, they took us out to a mysterious island, which <laughs> ended up being uh, the backside of Catalina Island, which is just <laughs> off the coast of Los Angeles. Right. right. And, uh, they set up like a big contraption in the ocean and they chained your feet up to bungee cords and then you had to hold on to gymnastic rings and then they stretched you out like a rack and you had to hold on to the gymnastic rings for as long as you could. And then if you fell, you splashed your head into the water and had to like pull a rip cord. Were you a Tommy Lee's house uh, or was that a set? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was a, it, was a, it was kind of bondage you know. It's, it's a... It's a Good, good life lessons, I guess. <laughs> I do that. Was there a volcano involved in that one? I remember one, or like, <laughs> was the payoff you had to throw a flag in a volcano, or my mix? Like all those shows, man. Those Nickelodeon, like gloppy, like twisty. I know that's global guts, man. That's oh, the aggro crag. What are you talking about? I'm sorry, man. I, I screwed this one up. Hey, you know, to bury the lead, Shaky Graves. Thank you, man, for being with us here. Murmur. Really appreciate you being here. Um, you are yeah, not a slacker. Age five, I don't remember like age 25, dude. Age five, wh- your mom, was she a writer and a teacher? What was what were her theatrical underpinnings? Um, yeah, I mean, my family was all kind of involved in, my parents met in the uh, UT drama department. Uh, my dad was a set and light designer, and um, my mother was an actress and a playwright and a director. And then she went on to teach at UT for a while. And yeah. And so I kind of, you know, I was like, you know, was just sort of raised in theaters and, you know, park ants and all that stuff. Well, and uh, what were you, it was just kind of a natural progression, I guess. Well, what were you, you know, I always wonder, what are ki- was kids thinking when they watch actors act? Were you, was it just kind of a cool make-believe deal or was it, who are these scary people smoking outside a lot? Like, what, do you, like, what is that for a kid? I wonder, you know, do you recall that? I mean, it was a while ago, obviously. Yeah, I mean. Well, I guess the part that was the most influential is kind of the production of it all. Um, I mean, I still, you know, even growing up in theater, I still find myself a terrible theater audience member. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen some shows that, like, really floor me and blow me away, but, but it, I would much rather have my hands involved than uh, 
just be a, a passive observer. So, I mean, maybe that that was the whole impetus in the first place is that I like I like watching someone be casual and sort of do the inhuman task of memorizing, you know, a, a book's worth of words and then be able to regurgitate them mm. in, in kind of a, like, possession-style way where it's like, ah, blah, 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 and you remember blocking and then watching those people run off stage and, and the kind of hectic stuff. Like, my dad was a production manager on this kind of legendary Texas um, series of shows called, uh, the first one was called Greater Tuna, and the second one was called Tuna Christmas, and the third one was Red, White, and Tuna. And it was a two-man show that ran for, I don't know, 20 years. Yeah, I, I remember it in New York. I saw it in New York at some point, because it kind of made the rounds regionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's an incredibly funny show. And yeah. it's two men, uh, these guys, Joe and Jason, and they play like 40 characters. And they, you know, men and women and old ladies. And and uh, and the so behind the stage was crazy because they would do, I think, like 15-second quick changes. So right. they would they would be talking and, and walk behind a wall. And then backstage, all their clothes were Velcro, and there were like four, you know, <laughs> trained people that would rip all their clothes off and put them back on, and then they would change their body language and walk back out as an old old lady. And it was just like, that stuff was just riveting on both sides. I mean, it was yeah. an incredibly hilarious show to watch, but to see the backside of it just made it all seem even more magical, quite kind, honestly. I was going to say, it's kind of like watching a magician. You know, you really... And magic is so hypnotic for kids. I mean, if you make a crude comparison, so you're really seeing like the quick change. That's really the guts. So if you don't hate it, then you're not going to hate it. You know, that's kind of the nitty gritty. You're seeing the illusion revealed, which is a pretty yeah. stunning thing. You know, it's like seeing your your parents naked or something. Maybe that's a really terrible metaphor. You know, um, <laughs> but but it's it's kind of like if well, that doesn't if that doesn't shock you, nothing will. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, often Texas in the. Uh, in the early 90s is a pretty liberal place, so I saw, you know, my parents naked a, a couple times. <laughs> it's a stark reality that this is close to my heart. So, you know, if that's the litmus test that gets people by, I'm, you know, consider me vetted, well vetted. <laughs> are, are you you're from you're from South Austin originally, right? Is that kind of locating it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you know, I, I'm from Austin. It's a, yeah. it's not a very big place. It, it, they, they're definitely doing a better job of trying to make up neighborhoods right now of yeah. being like oh you're in sobroco and, <laughs> and nor norwest house 10 you know <laughs> yes real estate agents love that shit i mean they just do mm -hmm. you know it's, it's funny i was thinking <laughs> about reading you know it was it was glib but it you know to see you act at such an early age it seems like there's a misjudgment that knowing or being thrown into something early oh you're so lucky man you know what you're gonna do I find that can be for, forget your age. Even if you know when you're in college, that's a it can be a burden. I mean, did you find any part of that, like you know, the burden of dreams in a, in a really cheesy way? But did you find knowing? Did you know that what you were doing at that age, or were you simply doing it? And is simply doing it without thinking a great thing? Um, I mean, did you know you were an actor? Did you know you were acting? What, what did all that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh you know, I think a lot of it comes down to what you perceive your identity as. Um, and I, you know, I think, uh, I think it's important to believe in what you think you are, you know, and, and also be flexible with that because I think age changes everything. So, I mean, even before I was an actor, uh, you know, quote unquote, I mean, it's like what qualifies you as an actor, you know, if you've acted, I, I guess you're an actor, right. And, right. and, uh, 
but before that, I mean, I was like the kid who could draw kind of good in my class. And so I always was like, you know, I was a intense animation, like total animation dork buff. And in, oh, in, that's um, cool. that's really cool. Yeah. Like in, in kindergarten, I had a great, I had a great teacher in kindergarten, the, the back in the glory days. And, uh, it was this woman named Miss Contreras and she, uh, saw that I was constantly drawing, and she gave me this book that was an autobiography of this children's book author named Bill Pete, hmm. who um, Bill Pete was the one of the concept artists for Disney, like in the old days. So he did all the. It was basically like he was like a uh, not just a storyboard artist, but they would come up with, you know, come up with the character, and he would conceptualize, you know, what Dumbo would look like or what the, you know, and he he would draw these single portraits that would make these elaborate scenes kind of come out of them like the scene in Dumbo where his mom is like swinging Dumbo you know rocking him in in her trunk and and like you know he drew this picture for Lady and the Tramp that's like two dogs staring out over a city and it's like incredibly romantic you know and it's this cartoon of two dogs watching a city and you're like how's how did you do this you know and I always thought that was that that was the stuff that I liked in general, you know, and I think that like in acting and and you know outside of theater, I'm 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 fully obsessed with movies. I've always just been just absorbed and, and digested and you know eaten every kind of movie that I can that I can process. And I, I think that I still get that thrill and um, you know I get all riled up by shots and and the the, the right combination that maybe presses like four or five of my buttons at the same time, you know, that, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that experience never really dulls. Well, one, uh, you know, one of our secret spies in, in your camp, uh, mentioned to me that the land before time is a film that connects with you. And I mentioned that based on even more so based on what you're telling me in terms of animation, um, is, is a, is that, is my spy accurate? B, should I have him flogged? C, uh, if it's true, what is it about that film? And, and, uh, you know, are you an animation film guy? Well, I mean, there's a few things with that movie. Uh, you know, one of which I, th- I think the stuff that kind of formulates or forms who you are is, is maybe even farther back than you can really remember. But mm-hmm. I, I can definitely pinpoint the land before time as something that was like my movie when I was younger, and then um, in like 2009, I found a VHS copy of it at a yard sale. Oh, I was like, that's oh, awesome. that's awesome. you know, cool, yeah, great. Yeah, 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 and I yeah. took it and popped it in, and I made it like 35 minutes through, and like started crying and oh, freaking man. out. And it, awesome. it had all this, it had all this like uh, just built-in uh, baggage that I had totally forgotten about, and it was like I remembered the whole soundtrack, and I. I, I, it was like, a, you know, a, a trunk was popped open in my brain that had been sealed for a while. And, and it was like, you know, it was, it was genuinely overwhelming. But even still, you know, I, I, when I watched that movie, the guy who did that was this guy named Don Bluth. Don Bluth, and, I uh, remember. Don Bluth. Yeah. Those were really avant-garde. Oh, I mean, okay. at the time, no one... And actually, Spielberg and Lucas were two of the producers on that. So that was pretty ahead of the curve. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. and he... Yeah, he was kind of the first... You know, a lot of, like, modern, you know, especially Pixar and stuff, I mean, whether or not they, you know, cite him as a reference, he was definitely one of the first people that through mainstream animation, 
was making was tackling like really intense Absolutely. issues beyond uh, romance. An American and, tale. And an American tale. Yeah, of, right on. Exactly. Uh, immigrants is just straight up. You know the the cats are like the Russian. You know, like like they're captured. Yeah. Like the, cat, the cat attack in American Tale is terrifying. To it's day, if you watch it, you're like, what? It's awesome it's, that you're saying that. I mean, I hate to sound on the nose, but it's like, let's watch it now. You know, it's that's, and it's funny oh, because sure. animation films are now getting back to that. I I didn't see all of Zootropia. I watched it like on a plane, half asleep. But it seemed to be about the agita, like of living in cities. You know, so maybe. Maybe animation is kind of getting back to that. And Moana, I mean, there, there's this weird cultural sensitivity. But you're right, man. Like the secret, I remember even the secret of Nim. You know, Bluth. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like those, I was talking about The Dark Crystal not too long ago because we had uh, Jim James on the show from My Morning Jack. And he loves that film. So I remember that time yeah. too. You know, you, you're an old soul. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, older than you. I choked on that when I said it, but you know, you're an old soul. So <laughs> it's interesting that those early impressions kind of are, are still there. They're tattooed in, in a kind of cool way. Well, I, you know, some of the wisest people that I think have walked the, the earth, uh, media wise are, you know, are people like Jim Henson and, yeah. you know, the, the kind of pioneers of not treating children like children. And understanding that you know children are just small grown ups and they they usually can they can grasp they they just don't know as many words, but concepts are are graspable by all you know and i <laughs> there's a I concept like, yeah, um, yeah 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 and and I mean, for instance, like all dogs go to heaven, the plot of all dogs go to heaven it's basically just a, a straight up uh heist like a heist death movie it's a dog and his friend break out of jail. And they go back to this casino that they used to work at, and the casino does rat races. They do rigged rat races for meat. <laughs> and when they go there, the guy's like, oh, I can't believe you all broke out of jail. And it turns out that the mob boss dog is the guy who framed him and put him in jail. So they take the main dog out on his birthday and get him drunk on beer. It's literally oh, in the movie. They amazing, get the dog wasted. That's amazing. And then they hit him with a, <laughs> then they hit him with a car. And then he dies, and he goes to heaven, and this dog explains that, you know, oh, well, you, you lucked out because you've been a bad dog or whatever, but turns out all dogs go to heaven, so you have a free pass. And then there's, like, every soul has a clock that floats, and then when your clock runs out of time, you, you die. And so he finds his clock, turns back time, and then, like, the last thing that this angel dog yells at him is, like, if you go back to Earth, you can never return to heaven, heaven. He's like, whoa. God. And anyways, well, and I'm, it's like <laughs> I'm glad this movie made no impression on you. <laughs> I mean, you're basically yeah, exactly. quoting it frame by frame. That's awesome. Like you're giving me goosebumps. Oh yeah. You know, Bluth is a Texas guy. Actually, he's from El Paso, I believe. I don't know. No way. Yeah, I don't know. And he's still around. He's 80, I think, just under 80. I don't know if people from Austin hang out with he's people. Kind of slowed down. He did. He did like Anastasia, right? And, uh, uh, and Titan A.E. Uh, he Penguin did. Penguin and Troll and Central. Oh yeah, he did do Titan A.E. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a very yeah, ambitious like kind of failure. But I, I you know, I, I love it's what you're saying. Same with Dragon's Lair. A Dragon's, that's right. It, I remember Dragon's Lair, the video game, but that's a whole different conversation. We're, yeah. we're speaking with Shaky <laughs> Graves. Yeah. I know, that's a whole other uh, mind F. Uh, we're here with Shaky Graves on Murmur. <laughs> we are going to get to stuff from fans, I promise. I don't want to get too in the Wikipedia of Shaky. There's plenty of AMAs out there you guys can check out for your own sycophantia. Um, 
I, I'm going to monopolize him a little bit because you reminded me of Jim Henson, you know, this idea of film visionaries. And I was thinking of Labyrinth, which I saw again recently. And that segues a little mm-hmm. bit on the nose to what I want to talk to you a little bit about. You know, Bowie is so great in that movie. I mean, he just is. And I actually saw The Hunger again recently, uh, Tony Scott oh, with yeah. Bowie. And I, if it wasn't David Bowie, it would be just, you know, I, it's funny, like looking through the gauze of actors who do music and music through do actors who act let's look into that mousetrap a little bit and then we can get to some fan questions um sure yeah rather than the timeline i guess you know it's funny when i moved out to la really briefly it's funny everyone's in a band man out there it's really kind of shocking i thought like it would be the cliche of everyone's you know hey let's put on a movie no everyone's either a photographer or in a band i thought i was in a band and i don't play a note you know (laughs) but but in all seriousness I love some of the, let's talk a little bit about the early influences and, and the early tipping points when you went out to L.A. because you had lived in New York. But um, moving out to L.A. and having the film world around you, what was that first feeling like, being an actor, quote-unquote, at that point? You've, you'd done music in high school. You'd done some you know, yelling and screaming a little bit. But being an, act, being an actor in Hollywood for the first time, was it surreal or was it? anticlimactic do you recall that feeling being there for the first time yeah i mean it's it, you know it's all of the above I, again i you know I, I feel like um you know since i did identify as an actor or or it was something that i that i did i'd put work into um you know since i was younger and i figured that you know at any point when you do anything like if you play a sport and you do it fairly well you figure you might as well try and take it as far as you as you can right and, um, and, you know, acting doesn't really have limits at all. You can pick some kid off the street and throw them in a movie and they can blow your mind or there can be some poor fool that sits around in L.A. and is one of the best actors you've ever seen and just can't book anything because they're a crazy person or, or just never get in the right room. or You know, it's, it's, it's basically, it's, I've always felt like it can, it can feel a lot like compulsive gambling <laughs> because the... It becomes less about actually, you know, most actors in L.A. don't don't even work on stuff. Yeah, you know, they're, yeah. they're in this constant, like, Scorsese classes. Ca- says he calls L.A. a big waiting room, actually. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And, you know, I remember being out there and going hiking. And it's like, you would think, oh, it's Tuesday. I'm just going to go for a walk. The mountain is full of people because they're all kind of full waiting. Of actors. Yeah, they're, they're all like. All the actors are. They're all hiking. But, you know, you said something really interesting because addiction to gambling, and I'm, I don't have one, but I've studied a little bit of addiction. Sometimes you kind of get addicted to the lows, not the highs. Did you ever, is that a weird way of looking at that syndrome a little bit? Because you worked hard as an actor. You, you know, you, I'm sure you had your ups and downs. But the lows are kind of a weird phenomenon. Were you getting rejected a lot, or I mean, what was the what was the push? Oh yeah, pull? I mean, well, that's the, I mean, that's the that's the experience, and um, I feel like that's the that's kind of the purpose of almost any endeavor to me. It isn't isn't the ultimate goal, but it it really is. You know, to sound corny, it's like it's the journey, not the destination. Yeah, um, because when I was out there and really, you know, trying my damnedest to do anything. And it was like, you know, at a certain point, you're going to have to, you know, suck some proverbial dick in Hollywood. That's, it's like, you know, yeah. I know you're not into watching stuff on ABC family and you're, you would never, you would never even pay attention to this TV show, but you have to care so much about being the corny boyfriend on some bizarre thing that you've never even heard of. That's, you know, like 
I had to, I, I went to like six callbacks for this TV show about gymnastics that <laughs> ran for, I don't know, a couple seasons or something. And it was like callback and then you're going in. And then I made it all the way up to like the screen test and just borked it, just had a bad day. And yeah. it was like, whoop, yeah. Yeah. that's I already had to, you have to do really intense stuff, like sign the contract before you get in the room, just so there's no bargaining wiggle stuff. So it's like. You know, I'm I'm like stealing sandwiches from Ralphs and you you, call, <laughs> so you like, called it chasing always. the dragon, which not to I mean it was a beautifully understated poetic way of looking at it. You know, you said you moved from New York to L.A. to chase the dragon, and I assumed that was part of this thing. You know, like it's a it's a goddamn dragon. It's two dragons. It's like a it's like a hydra. <laughs> you know, it's it's not. And you know what what I find cool about you, and I was joking before we let you on, we got you on the show. You know, on the monologue about you know people like. Frank Sinatra and even Brando. There was a time where actors, like, had it was cool. You needed to know how to sing and perform, you know. And and it's interesting that you went there. And I I saw this in your your bio somewhere about a performer you had seen, um, who actually I know Tom Waits is a big fan of. Um, Bob Log the Third was that mm-hmm. was that one of the changing moments? Not to not to overemphasize that, but if you don't know Bob Log the Third, go Google him now. He's just interesting. But what was that tipping point? This yeah. is actually a question from one of what? your listeners um, asking Alexandra in Philadelphia is and Brooklyn is asking what was the tipping point? Was was that a tipping point? That was definitely a tipping point because, uh, you know, up, up until that point, I feel like everybody who does does something like acting or, uh, you know, any any artistic endeavor that seems very daunting, there's usually a lot of personal excuses that you put up, you know, like, yeah, well, I haven't yeah. found the right person or I'm not in the right position or I, I, I you know, I, I don't this, there isn't that, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, music is something that I've done since uh you know i was about 12 when i when i found uh what i cared about in guitar which was being able to express something kind of personally to myself and um and it was more along the lines of drawing like i could sit and create a song in my room and and i i it felt great it didn't feel like wasted time because i would have a tangible product by the end that i would i would be able to listen to because it sounded good to me and um but I didn't know how to, you know, that ex- that next step seemed very confusing and daunting. And I'm like, I don't, you know, what is that? I, you know, I just, I don't have a band and, and, you know, I'm not even sure if I could find the right people to get in the right room and this and that. And uh, I ended up going to see Bob Log. I had heard about him from, I, uh, my friend was actually dating his sister at a certain point. <laughs> did she wear a helmet wrote too? his name down. Did, 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 <laughs> yeah, does Bob Log's girlfriend? I've never seen her face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Whole family. They're actually born in helmets. The weird disease thing. Uh, you can't really talk about it. Uh, but people are like, "What are they uh, talking they, about?" Go check out Bob Log the Third. Anyway, that's your homework. Go on. Yeah, this right. is like a this is a, a one man band guy that that uh, has songs like "Boob Scotch," "Boobs in a Scotch," and he wears a motorcycle helmet with a telephone installed in the front, and you don't see his face, and he plays crazy blues guitar. But the the bill that I saw him on was three one man bands in a row. So the, it, it it was this guy named uh, Possessed by Paul James, who's an incredible musician, and a friend of mine uh, these days. And then it was Scott H. Byram, and then it was Bob Log the Third. Right. And so these are all three one man bands that have these entirely different approaches to pulling it off. It's all kind of like hardcore blues uh, stuff, 
you know, but like possessed by Paul James, he flipped a, a briefcase on the ground and then had like the bottom female part of a like a pipe rail set up, and he would drop a microphone in it and stomp on the stomp on the other side of the briefcase. And then uh, and then you know Bob Log has this whole contraption with tons of stuff, and he like has a wireless guitar and crowd surfs and a inflatable boat. And, you know, anyway, at the end of this, it was like by the first time I saw, you know, the first person out uh, possessed by Paul James, he was kind of riding the audience in this way that I hadn't really seen anybody do to where you can kind of feel when people lose lose their attention. They stop, you know, they kind of start to talk a little more yeah. in an audience. You can yeah. kind of feel that get away. Mm. And he was able to switch a tempo or change a song in a way or rile it up. And it kind of seemed like he was wrestling with his instrument. He, he like talks out loud a lot and kind of barks at his fiddle and stuff. And, and he would, I would find myself starting to have a conversation and then he would forcibly kind of pull me back into what he was doing. And, um, and there was just something about it that I was like, I think I could pull that off. It's amazing. Uh, as well. And I, yeah. and it sort of threw the band concept under the bus where I was like, well, these guys obviously can get this across. And, uh, just sat in the back of my brain and just sort of turned into a pearl slowly. And, uh, <laughs> it took a couple more years for me to ever, like I, I was playing a show in a, in a loft in Los Angeles and they weren't paying attention. And so I borrowed someone's kick drum from a previous band and, uh, started just smashing away at it and sure enough people started dancing to my music which had never happened before and i was like oh well that's a di talk about addictive that's a, that's a high that's a choice we actually speaking of addiction we have an, uh, many addicted people who listen to this show i'm not joking um but i want to try i didn't even know we had phones until today shaky so let me see if we can patch in someone who, welcome to murmur uh you're on with shaky and me rob uh, who's this Hey, this is Raphael. Hi. Hey, Raphael. Uh, where are you from, man? From New York City. Oh, I've heard of it. Uh, do you have a question uh, for Shaky? I do. Uh, first of all, um, love your music. You've been talking about being an actor, and, and I mean, I guess you said you had music in your life earlier. So I don't know if you feel that you were an actor first or a musician first, but I was just wondering how your acting education and experience whether that helps you or how does that influence your your songwriting yeah. as as a you know like a storyteller through music and song uh, th thanks for the call that's a, that's interesting i mean i think that's kind of you know the question and does it cock block yeah. you in a way i mean i guess i would add does it kind of block you does it constipate you but you know w would you say there's a ratio there's a there's a qualitative being an actor being a performer has crossed over and worked with you in any way like supported your work as a musician now i mean yeah i think there's a lot of similarities something that i grappled with for a while or that that uh people love to kind of like pick at my skin about you know is like actor turned musician like cornball yeah. dongus over here you know just decided one day he <laughs> wanted to do this and it's like first off you know you never get to decide to be an actor you never like right. raise your hand and like excuse me i'd love to be in this thing now and they're like well there's none of you out there let's get you on in here come on like we'll get on the stage or in this movie or whatever um and i i sort of had this quarrel in my brain about the the two things you know music and acting and and i used to consider them very similar and then one day i kind of had this like light bulb turn on and i realized that they are they couldn't 
they couldn't inherently be more different oh, because interesting. the interesting. main goal of acting in theory is to not be yourself in front of people and be commended for it. You mm-hmm. know, you're supposed to use somebody else's most of the time, unless you wrote the piece or, or whatever, but you're n- more often than not, not playing yourself and trying to bear your personal soul as it is, you know, you, you sort of pour your experiences into a character, uh, you know, and, and, and breathe life into, uh, words. But then the opposite, you know, with most musicians, what you're commended upon is bearing your personal self to people and being like fiercely you. Mm. And, um, so acting and all the stuff that I did in it, never really scratched a certain part of expression that I feel like I had. And, you know, there's lots of ways to do that. My, my, my mother, for instance, uh, has always been a playwright. So I've been around narrative and she taught playwriting and she's a, a, an incredible short story author and, and stuff like that. And, and I, I always felt like I had a fairly decent grasp of narrative in general but I don't, I've never felt able to like write a book or, you know, yeah. sit down and, yeah. and, and, uh, do anything long format. And so when I started being able to paint small pictures, um, it changed and it was extremely relieving. And I think what's important too, is I never really set out, um, like entirely purposefully to make music for other people. And I don't, I don't think that the, the other thing that separates the two is that you can't act for yourself. There's no such thing as acting to gain personal gratification. You can't go and, you know, like go out back in the woodshed and act for five hours and come back in the house and be like, whoa, that was great. You know, no, I, 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 I agree. I agree. But there are actors who don't need other people. I mean, you know, I, there are actors who don't feel they need directors or even scene partners. Sure, but you know. actors, need an, actors need an audience. Right, right. And sometimes right. the audience and is the music, camera. Sometimes, music, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, music needs no audience. There's no inherent necessity. You know, if you go in the woods, it's like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around. You know, if a, if a person goes out and and plays music in <laughs> yeah. in the middle of nowhere and no one hears it, it's absolutely music. It's maybe the best music of all time. But you know, acting without an audience, it's a it's a different experience. It's a give and take. You know, you you the the audience and the actor are. Uh, they need a reflective you know, surface. Right. Yeah. L- let yeah, me th- exactly. let me throw some quick hitters at you about this idea. You know, I I think of all the people I've spoken to about this, fifty percent of the musicians. I'll use I'll use these words as placeholders. I'm, I would never reduce anything you do to me. You're an artist, but fifty percent of the traditional musicians I speak to will say no. It's performing is not performing with the guitar in front of a microphone is not acting. Some think it is. It's funny. Maynard James Keenan of Tool, who wouldn't be someone. I would thought, have thought would have agreed. He said it is acting to him. But again, I mean, it's funny. It's a really cool question. But I want to look at it from a different a different vantage point. Um, when you do a song, let's say you're on the road and you're you're gigging like five times out of seven nights, um, and you, w- w- the song is a personal script, but is the performance. What it, what is the in, inhabiting of the performance feel like? Is it not? It's not acting for you. It's not translation. Is it reliving it like five times a week? Not not to sound too on the nose, but I'm curious what you go through 
uh, emotionally when you do a song, one song. It's almost like a Broadway, you know, it's it's like a play. It's sure. but it's, but it's not. You know, a Broadway actor does it eight times a week, but when you do a, one the same six or five or six songs, let's say, five times a week, what goes through your mind? Are you are you reliving it every time? Is it dry some nights? Is it like how does that work in your mind if you can deconstruct it? Um well, I mean, you know, there's a few parts to that because there's a, you know, I have a bunch of, I have a lot of music that, uh, you know, people either don't know about, and then I have a lot of music that I, I don't play, and I have a, I have a, a kind of deep pool to draw from that um, it really does depend on the room and the audience, and I guess yeah. that this is one of the main things that I've taken from specifically theater stuff, is that, you know, when I've done plays in the past and you're doing a you know a drama an intense drama there's always humor in drama too and and you know sometimes maybe not you know but there are usually times that there's even kind of that sense of relief laughter or absolutely an audience is like right there with you and even you just making a facial expression makes people like you know right right and the same goes with music i mean there's some nights where you go in and everyone is just shit-faced they are wasted and they could care less if you you know they can't sit through like this is a personal song about you know my my life experience and people are like woo, you know yeah right and uh and i feel like there's we always thought you weren't paying attention to that, man. But so it's funny because, but, <laughs> oh, no. but you're, but are you into yeah. that? I didn't mean to sound so tongue in cheek, but you're tuned into that. I mean, so you really tune in that specifically to the audience, and I, it affects your performance. Well, I mean, that's, that, again, that's a, that's a the way that I run my show is that that's a nightly decision that I make. I love that, and um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and it's like some nights I'm not in the mood to talk to you as an audience, and I don't care. And there's nothing you can really do. I mean, unless you're just the sweetest. And sometimes I'll be in a bad mood and the audience is just hanging on every nuance. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw something out. And if they catch the whole thing, it's like, oh, all right, well, maybe this is a different conversation now. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I, I have a band for some of my songs. And then I, I still, you know, I've done the solo show for a long time. So I usually try and split it out kind of 50-50. Because yeah. I've been doing it for so long, it's a lot more taxing these days like it it, i feel like it takes a lot more out of me than it used to because i used to have something kind of more to prove and um and people weren't even paying attention that much so i would just go in and kind of kick my way through a room and sort of force you know do the do the stuff that i saw bob log and possessed by paul james do which is demand attention and then hold it but when that intention is inherent i think that's a, a a bigger responsibility on the artist and and I don't think it's, I think it's just as fair to go and play your set all the way through and just play the, you know, shut up and play the hits. Or, you know, what I sometimes prefer is really feeling like I spent an evening in a room with somebody. And even if they like talked more than played music, I sometimes that's all I really want. So You're, depending on the location yeah. and the venue and how the people are acting, I, I think, I think that's when quote unquote acting can be a part of your show. Sometimes I play up the character of, 
you know, because I wasn't, I'm not shaky graves as much as I am. You're not. Sometimes that you, you weren't. <laughs> in the, in the, well, when the doctor yeah. spanked your ass, you weren't shaky graves. You're, no. Uh, oh man, well, that was the start of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like, like it spanked me to a rhythm. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and that was it. This is a huge come down. The four four. Yeah, your mom was oh, taking right notes. There. Well, you, yeah. you're disarmingly exactly. eloquent about this stuff. I mean, it's unreal how eloquent. And how you're on the you are and I'm not trying to make you think more than you sound like you already do, but it's funny because <laughs> I had three questions from fans and you just basically answered them. A woman named Linda and Hudson said, "How does venue size affect you?" Uh, a, a guy named Kevin from Canada said, "How do you keep your shit together when the crowd is so awful?" I think it's really cool that you're 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 you're. You know, performance is a, is a varied word. It doesn't mean act. It doesn't doesn't just mean acting, and it doesn't just mean singing. I I, I just have one. I want to break the tie, and this is my own um, fetish. When I go to see performers perform, I, I wonder. I was watching um, on YouTube because uh, I, I know Towns Van Zandt, uh, uh, the song Rake, and uh, you're you know who who isn't a fan of Towns? But uh, um, I was watching a performance of If I Needed You that Emmy Lou Harris and Steve Earle did. And there's a moment on yeah. this YouTube clip when Emmy Lou Harris looks at Steve. And, dude, if if I was Steve Earle, my pants would have exploded. I guess my point is, <laughs> do you feel <laughs> – maybe they did. But do you – when you're connecting, this is another part of it. It's almost like a scene study thing. When you're on stage connecting and you're doing more work in, in duetism and bandism, do you feel those feelings? I mean, this sounds so corny to ask, but I'm just fascinated – because you know, how do you hold? Like, how do you not feel that? And where does it go? You know, not not to to sound too crass, but where does it go when you're connecting with with someone, whether it's Esme or someone else on stage? Do you feel? And is it a similar vibration? Pardon the pun that you would feel as an actor, or is connecting with someone in a scene, or are those two different vibration vibrations? No, I think they're similar. Um... And I mean, there's there's sort of nothing like it, you know. I mean, back in the addiction side of the pool, there's there's something extremely, extremely, uh, both physically and kind of intangibly satisfying about um, uh, proper unison, you know, pulling something off. And often it's even more exciting if it's an accident, you know. And um, and I think uh, sometimes the challenge can be, at least for myself, is, is uh, trying to kind of manufacture accidents. And that's not the most professional approach to anything, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> yes. we'll, we'll go out there and see, shoot from the, you know, unless it's straight up improv. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. And, you know, it, I, I've, <laughs> I've been on stage with people where I have no problem biffing something. I am like Lord Biff that <laughs> I, I can... I can swing and miss and 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 smile and go home and sleep like a baby. You know what I mean? And uh, and I've been on stage with people who have no chill with that at all. And I think it's really sometimes it's a little embarrassing for me where I'm like, oh, am I being a childish dummy? Like, am I am I the stupid one in this situation where I should be taking this a lot more seriously? Um, and you know, sometimes I you feel like the answer is yes, but I, at the end of the day, I always feel like it's it's just music. It's it, you know, it it has potential for absolute profundity. Like just you know, like like whoa, religion on stage. This is it. Yeah. And I and but also the question is like you know, if you looked into the face of God, would you laugh? 
You know, what mm-hmm. would you do? Mm-hmm. Would you? I, I don't know. I I argue that I might laugh. I might just be like, look at you, you know, and, and often I do. That's, that's my approach. Well, you know, filmmakers often say, filmmakers often say you have to love something in order to film it. I always think it's the opposite. I think you have to be willing to kill it to film it because I think there is a kind of, you know, you have to contain it. You have, you know, it's like to me, a filmmaker, not to get into the egghead film studies of it all, but like Robert Bresson or Roberto Rossellini, and they didn't do a lot of close-ups, and it's that tension with a lack of emotion. So I'm not saying you have a lack of emotion, but it is an interesting conundrum. I love the fact that it, it changes for you, and it's it, because if if we're watching. Again, to conclude our metaphors as we wrap up a little bit, if we're watching two singers sort of masturbate emotionally on stage, I don't want to watch that for like two hours, <laughs> right. to be honest with you. Stroking each other like, oh, listen to you hit those notes. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't want to watch that, do too, you know? and I don't want to go to a Broadway play and see you know, Frank Langella do it. Like, I don't, that's not where I go. So <laughs> it's not shut up and play the hits, but it's something else, you know. Man, I tell you, this sucks. You know, you are. I. I. This has got to be like one day, like a three-hour conversation. You are. You're disarmingly like tuned in. I. I was just hoping you'd be like totally, oh, inadvertent about your poetry. But I, you're writing it. It's really exciting to hear that you're scripting this. You know. Um, it's funny, Tom Waits. Uh, was again. I was doing a little more of this. You got me into this. Um, this Bob Log stuff, but Tom Waits was once asked what kind of music he listens to, and he says he said I really like Wu Tang Clan. Uh, I dude, I always use that example. I really do. Hey, well, let me share Wu Tang Clan. <laughs> oh yeah, look at you, yeah. oh, Tom. Well, he really well, the Wu Tang Clan right now. Well, he <laughs> also oh, God, you're the best. he also went on to say, and I just want to wrap up with this. We've been with Shaky Graves in far too short a time. He went on to say, and then there's this guy named Bob Log. You ever heard of him? Wait said he's this little kid. Nobody knows how old he is. He wears a motorcycle helmet. He has a microphone inside of, of it, and he has glass over the front. And you can't see his face. He said, it's the strangest stuff you've ever heard. I don't understand one word he's saying. He said, I like people who glue macaroni onto a piece of cardboard and painted gold. That's what I aspire to, basically. I th- that's how I think of you, man. Like, you're really crafting this as you go and I think it's really exciting and, and you know it's inspiring and I'm sure your fans are inspired and I wish we could have brought more of them into this but uh, I've monopolized thank it. you yeah man it's been an honor to chat with you and when I come to Austin we we'll should we should do this in a proper way and, and a little more time to spread out a little bit anytime you want man I'm all yours hey Shaky uh, best of luck on the road and and, uh, and we'll catch up with you soon thank you so much alright man well that was cool uh, Shaky Graves God, not enough time to talk to that guy. I'm sorry if we couldn't get you on the air today, fans. We will soon. Murmur Radio, at MSF Murmur, available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Shaky Graves. Check him out, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.